This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who, at the very least, will say you should be keeping Eric Carlson in your IR spot. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as usual, the Poobah Prognostication, the IPP MVP, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon, and hello, everyone. What a shame, huh, that we're talking about, like, our, our name, the name of our podcast is always doubled as actionable fantasy advice until... Well, like maybe last year and especially this year. Now it's like holding Carlson. Is that even actionable fantasy advice? It's it's a nice reprieve that you can put him on IR plus. Well, maybe he gets his S sorted out. Come on, Eric. Don't leave us hanging. We we named our whole brand based on <laughs> based on the quality that we've always we've always said you have and can offer your managers. Yeah, and right now also William Carlson isn't having the best season. Oh, there's no Carlsons right now. There's no good Carlsons right now. John Carlson, but it's spelled differently. But I feel like at least when we say it, we need to be thinking about him. But hey, you know what? Maybe we'll turn to streaming Carlson, and then we'll turn into dropping Carlson. But, you know, that's life, right? He wasn't going to be amazing forever, but I thought that he could do a little better. I'm blaming the Sharks. But anyways, Brian, we got too much to get to to focus on Eric Carlson. We have got a week's worth of NHL action to cover. Plus, we're going to look to next week where there's a whole bunch of teams that are going to finally be playing games that haven't played and We're going to look through all of their rosters. That's how we're going to start the show. I'm excited to just do a quick deep dive into the teams that maybe have a bunch of players that have been dropped into free agency and you might be able to snag because, you know, people just didn't want to have players sitting on their roster that weren't playing games for a week and a half. So that's coming up next. But first, let's of course mention that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one primo fantasy hockey website in the whole world. It's my favorite. I'm there every day to read the articles, the daily ramblings, just get quick updates and everything going on. You know, we have our short shifts on Tuesday and Thursday, and then you have our show on Sunday. But what about the other days? Check the Daily Ramblings. You'll be up to date every single day. Plus, Frozen Tools has everything you need to be successful in fantasy. So, with that, Brian, yes, I recommend for people to always be checking out DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, like I said, I want to get started by looking at some of these teams who haven't played in forever. Hopefully, we'll be back in action next week. All signs are pointing. Brian, potentially, like, as of now, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm totally going to. No postponed games yet for next week. Every game that's currently on the schedule, there's no PPDs on Yahoo right now. So, you know, fingers crossed it'll stay that way. And that means there's a lot of teams that people are going to be excited to see their players play from. Let's start in Minnesota. 
who haven't played forever, right? They're one of the teams that missed all of last week and half of the previous week. Uh, and I just want to ask you about some players that maybe are available in free agency that wouldn't have been if they had just been playing. Obviously, in shallower leagues, if you could get like a Kevin Fiala or a Kirill Kaprizov, I'd imagine that's a slam dunk. They're both the stars of the team. Fiala, especially, man, he hasn't played since January 28th. Remember, he missed those three games due to a suspension. Then there were the five postponed games. This was like all time where you couldn't stash him. So maybe he was dropped. Makes sense that he's only 56% rostered on Yahoo right now. And also, as a reminder, like, Fiala kind of stunk to start the year, right? I don't know if it was his fault. Like, he was taking a lot of shots, but he had no points to start the year in, like, four games. But he does have three goals in his last four games, so he was heating up. So I feel like this is an easy question, but I got to ask it for the 44% of people who have Kevin Fiala available in their leagues. I feel like in any format, you've got to jump all over him, right? Easily. Yeah, this is a no-brainer, no-doubter. Anybody who dropped him I, like, and no one picked him up, you got away with something. So you need to make sure to follow up on the back end of it and pick him right back up and add him to your roster. There's nothing... I mean, there's the same things not to like about Kevin Fiala as there were at the start of the season, of course. like Still doesn't really have a centerman, uh, so that's a bit of a problem. But it hasn't really slowed him down Uh well, actually, it kind of has, I should say. But his well, rate stats are still looking pretty good, even though he only has three points in eight games so far this season. I think he's going to be just fine. So this is a great time for you to try and grab him and add him for free as somebody who is more valuable than probably any free agent in your league. Yeah, maybe for the whole season. This could be your ad of the season. Uh, though, Brian, maybe you're putting a little bit of disrespect on Joel Erickson Eck. He's the guy who was centering Fiala in the latest practice. It was Fiala, Erickson Eck, and Parisi. Uh, not pedestrian numbers for JEE so far this season. Nine points in 11 games. So uh, he's actually someone I was going to ask you about a little later, but let's just throw it in now. There's him. There's also another random guy, Jordan Greenway. Ten points in 11 games. Also probably a free agent, and I'm sure the one you're going to say is number one, even though his numbers are the worst of the three. Zach Parise is probably available for a lot of people. Only five points in 11 games so these like lower level wild forwards greenway jee and parise curious to know if you're interested in any of them in particular how you'd rank them what do you think i think they're available for most people i'm gonna rank them but just to close the loop on kevin fiala if anyone's like three points in eight games was rate stats are fine i still can't get with him let me just add one more number for context i'll add two actually he has zero assists he has only gotten points on goals he has scored himself and his on-ice shooting percentage at five on five is just over 2%, which is uh, garbage. Like that does not happen over the course of a season. As I like to mention frequently, you can expect between 8 to 9% on ice shooting on average, uh, but that has not happened while Fiala's on the ice. In fact, either he scores or nobody does. So I think eventually that's going to turn around and that's another reason to think he's going to bounce back just beyond the fact that he is Kevin freaking Fiala. Okay, you asked me about these other three forwards, Erickson Eck, Greenway, and Parise, and I will start with Joel Erickson Eck because he is someone that I did poo-poo going into the season, or at least saying, look, we haven't seen anything from him to be able to want to anoint him as a top-line center, but Erickson Eck seems to have legit brought something new to his game this year that we haven't seen before. He's doubling his shot rates from last season. He's tripling his expected goal rates at five on five from last season, playing similar minutes. He's up to 31 shots in 11 goals, which is why when the obvious take would be, well, Erickson Eck, you know, he's shooting 16%. His own ice shooting percentage is too high, near 12%. Uh, that's all true, but I'm not going to discount what Erickson Eck has done and think, uh, there still could be some good value here once the variance melts away, once he's not shooting 
or once his teammates aren't shooting 12% while he's on the ice. I'm not saying Eric Sinek is like the 65 plus point guy he's pacing to be, but I am saying Eric Sinek could be at least worth a bottom roster spot or stream when the schedule makes sense, depending on the depth of your league in a real deep league. I would take a chance with him. His line with Greenway has been winning the shot share battle a lot too, which is a nice positive sign about his overall game. Speaking of Greenway, uh, he's probably been a little luckier to cash in on his points than Eric Sinek has. He's got a high IPP, only taking 16 shots in 11 games. There's nothing is encouraging for Greenway under the hood, the same way that I'm encouraged by what I see for Erickson Eck. But we have had our eye on Greenway for a bit already, and I'm open to him being a guy worth streaming in as well. And then Parisi, of course, Zach Parisi. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say about him probably. Uh, He's a favorite. I, yeah, I mean, I roster him. In the Cupful, he's the only one of these three wild forwards you've asked me about who sees any power play role. Uh, and that power play role is being on the top power play. He's taking three shots a game the same way Joel Erickson Eck is. That top power play unit, though, uh, has not been a great place to find success, unfortunately. They're not looking terribly dangerous in Minnesota, but uh, they're also shooting only 5%, which compounds the issue of them not being the best power play unit so far this year. I still, though, like Parisi being on that top unit for when it does get clicking, even at uh, like an average ish pace and I like what Parisi personally is accomplishing uh, and I think once it gets even partially sorted out on the power play he should come through a little more all his rates on the power play he looks good the power play doesn't but he looks fine uh, at five on five Parisi looks like he's in slight decline as you'd expect of a 36 year old but there's no jarring drop that says he's totally cooked so uh, you won't be surprised to find out where I stand here which is that I would take Parisi first then Erickson X second and Greenway third yeah, I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'll have to agree. At the end of the day, I'm going to take the guy on the top power play, even though he hasn't been succeeding as much. By the way, you mentioned that Greenway and Erickson Eck have been on a line together. That's old news, Brian. Of the latest practice lines, Parise, Erickson Eck, Fiala, and then Greenway with Kaprizov and Marcus Johansson, who is, of course, another player on this team that we have no interest in in fantasy. But uh, yeah, so those are the lines. And yeah, so I do like that Parise is playing with Fiala, both at even strength and on the power play. So if that sticks, I like that ranking. But look for all three of those guys if you need to stream a player in. Uh, then one other guy I'll bring up on Minnesota, someone who was injured. It looked like he was going to be out a while. Matt Dumba had that nasty lower body injury. He went down in a really awkward way. But latest is that he's practicing and he says he expects to play on Tuesday versus LA. Uh, So yeah, sure, Dumba was cold before getting hurt. He went pointless in six games before getting a goal in that last game versus Colorado. But he has solid shots. He has good peripherals. So I'd imagine he's rosterable in most formats, even when he's cold and not getting points. Plus, there's clearly an offensive upside there. We've seen it before. Plus Spurgeon, I don't know if Spurgeon's going to play on Tuesday yet. I guess the latest is he's still injured. He's like off the COVID list, but maybe he's still hurt from something else. Anyways, if Spurgeon is out, maybe Dumba gets extra power play time. So what are you expecting the rest of the way from a Matt Dumba? And is he someone that you probably, at the very least, I I don't even have to ask you. Like he's someone that you should look and potentially add if you need a defenseman. But I'm curious to know what upside are you expecting this year? I'm expecting no special upside compared to what we were already expecting. And Dumba is somebody who has suffered from the lack of power play production in Minnesota. He has no power play points so far, but he's doing fine at five on five. He's on pace for what would come to about 36 even strength points in a full 82 game season, which is actually fine for him. If you assume he's going to add on another 10 power play points, at least plus the peripherals he's been offering. Dumba actually has got his best five on five scoring rate ever 
right now. So that goes in his favor. The flip side of that coin is that Dumba is also at a five-year low in five-on-five time on ice. Even though he's doing more with his minutes, he gets less minutes to work with. So it's kind of a wash. And also Dumba uh, is kind of got this Kevin Fiala edit where he is picking up his points entirely on the strength of goal scoring. Three goals and just a single apple so far this year, um, which is kind of like it's not what we expect from Dumba to have more goals and assists, but he is a defenseman who has a high shooting percentage and we do rely on goals from him as being his main source of contributions or a big source of contributions, especially relative to what other defensemen can do in the league. Uh, You know, trying to make sense of the bigger picture for Dumba, there's a bit of a weird mishmash here, but I I don't think there's anything to signal that he's going to do any better or worse than say 45 points plus a few shots, a couple hits and a block each night. So I definitely think there's value if he's just sitting in free agency especially if those shots, hits, and blocks help you in your format. I am into Dumba, Brian. We dropped him in our Fantasy Hockey Trades League when he got hurt because there's no IR spot in that league. And lucky for us, we were able to grab him back when we saw that he was practicing. So that was a nice strategy for us. And if someone else is trying to pull that off, don't let them. Take Dumba from them. They should be punished for dropping him. Okay, let's go to Buffalo now. Another one of these teams that didn't play all last week and even before. Uh, looks like uh, we're going to get everyone back, right? Eichel, Hall, Olafson, Reinhardt, Ristolainen, Dahlin. All their managers must be ecstatic to get their studs back into their lineups. Like with Fiala, Dahlin was super cold to start the year, but was heating up before this long break. Three points in his last four games. Uh, Darlene only rostered in 77% of leagues. Those are the rest of them are clown leagues for sure. Like even maybe more than Fiala, I would say that it's a steal and you have to get Rasmus Darlene if he's somehow out there in free agency, right? Like I don't even need you to give me a long answer here because I don't think there's a point. No, there's no point to a long answer. Deline is worth being a hundred percent rostered in all formats. There's no reason to have given up on him already. Yeah, and then another obvious steal that I think actually might be available in a lot of people's leagues, only rostered in 29% of Yahoo leagues, is their goalie, Linus Allmark. Allmark is great. Like, I don't understand how he gets so much disrespect. Like, I understand, yeah, he was dropped because they haven't played a lot. So fine, that's fair. But at this point, you have to be adding him. If he's available, he's 3-1-2 and two on the year, 9-14 save percentage, which isn't even, like, that great. Like, for him, that's not even that great. But, like, for a lot of goalies, you'd be like, I would grab that anyways, even if I expected that the rest of the season. But I expect Allmark to improve on a 9-14 save percentage based on what we've seen from the rest of his career. Uh, we were both high on him going into the season, and I assume we still are, right? Like, I can't think of any reason that for Allmark not to be an obvious ad. Like, he's the starting goalie. I think he's going to be a volume starting goalie. Uh, Buffalo's not terrible. Like they're going to win some games. Maybe, you know, they're not Tampa Bay, but they're not, you know, Detroit. And, and he seems good. So yeah, if you need a goal, even if you don't need a goalie, grab Allmark. And then if you have too many goalies, trade one of your goalies. Cause you just got a free starting goalie. For sure. Yeah. So Allmark isn't somebody who should be languishing in free agency either. My short answer is yes, go and get him. But the longer answer that still is going to end with the same answer as the short answer. But if you want that extra context to make that decision, uh, despite his decent numbers, Allmark hasn't been very good this year. Neil, and you kind of alluded to this, that 914 isn't awesome. And his five on five numbers this year are not fantastic. In fact, Olmark and Kem Talbot, who's been in the same boat as somebody who was great value on draft day, who seemed to get forgotten as a starter on a team that has potential. Olmark and Talbot are actually in a similar boat here in that they haven't performed 
up to the level we hoped at five on five, but that's kind of being papered over by what their teams are doing. And also we haven't gotten to see a lot of them because they've had so many games postponed. Uh, but Allmark and Talbot are grouped with guys like Tristan Jari and Matt Murray and Miko Koskinen and Carter Hutton when you rank them by goals saved above average this year, or another measure would be Delta Fenwick uh, save percentage, which measures a goalie save percentage compared to their expected save percentage based on the body of work that they're facing, how hard it's been. But the thing with Allmark and Talbot versus guys like Jari Murray and Koskinen is that they're getting better protection than any of those guys. So when Allmark and Talbot are playing as poorly as Jari Murray and Koskinen in terms of goals saved above average, they don't get dinged for it as much because there aren't as many expected goals being put on them by the opposition, right? Their teams protect them better, so their their flaws aren't as exposed and they still seem better. So again, the long answer, should you go get Allmark? The long long answer is still yes, but I'd like to see Allmark get back to being at least the average NHL goalie that he was last season and not the Carter Hutton adjacent goalie that we've seen him be so far. Harsh, man. I mean, also, you're only giving these stats at even strength, right? Hasn't even been making up for this with a good save percentage on the power play. Overall, he has a 914 save percentage. That's not like average or below average. It's still pretty good. Well, it takes into account that he's supposed to stop more shots because his body of work isn't so difficult. So that's one reason he gets the 914. The other reason, like whatever he does on the penalty kill, Elon, we leave that out because it's such a small sample and goalies can fluctuate wildly in their performance there. And most of the game is played at even strength. And uh, there's you could go crazy trying to know, predict right? how a goalie is going to perform on the penalty kill. So, yes. Thank goodness that Carter Hutton, I, I actually don't have his penalty kill numbers in front of me. but You mean all Mark? Allmark, yeah, they, they're probably pretty good, but uh, I, I don't care. I need good five on five numbers to like a goalie. Yeah, well, I don't care about six games of data regardless. So oh, yeah. I care as little about the penalty kill as you care about. Anyways, we, we're on the same page. Go get Allmark. We don't need to debate. He, he's clearly good. I don't think he's like become bad randomly uh, because he's been a little bit below his expected save percentage through six games. Uh, here's a crazy thing, Brian. So the Sabres have been practicing. We've been seeing their practice lines. Check this out. So Hall on the second line. He's not playing with Eichel. He's playing with Stahl and Reinhardt. Okay. You know, split those guys up. Top line, Eichel, Olafson, and Jeff Skinner. You heard that right. Jeff Skinner is back on the top line. I think this is the first time in like two years we've seen Skinner practicing on a line with Eichel. Last time he was there... Correct me if I'm wrong, he had a 40-goal season. So uh, Buffalo plays Monday and Tuesday versus the Islanders. I feel like this would be a great time to give Jeff Skinner a try, right? Adam, after you hear this show, uh, give him these two games to see if anything can happen on that top line. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not expecting much to happen. I'm expecting him to get bumped from that line halfway through the first game. But for a very low-risk ad, he's available in all leagues. Uh, I don't know, like he's done, like in this situation, he's had great success and I don't think he's had another shot at this situation until now. So for a Monday, Tuesday start to the week, I'm telling people to go grab Jeff Skinner. Yeah, I like, we've had this conversation before, right? If Skinner ever gets that deployment back and I think he's had it for like very brief moments. Like you said, maybe he'll get switched off halfway through his first game on the top line or maybe through his first shift. Like he'll be one and done with the kind of rope we've seen Jeff Skinner be given by Ralph Kruger in Buffalo so far. Right now, uh, as we all know, Skinner has landed on the fourth line, second power play, career low minutes this year. So even worse deployment than last year. Meanwhile, as I mentioned last year, Jeff Skinner's rates honestly haven't changed much from his career numbers. He's still doing about as much, like if you control for the amount of time he gets offered on the ice, 
he's still doing pretty good with it. Pretty much the same thing he used to do with it, except for the scoring part, of course. I'm talking about shot generation and expected goals. So look, I know better than to get my hopes up that this deployment for Skinner is going to stick. But man, I am definitely tempted to give Jeff Skinner a speculative ad in a league where I could afford to. I've done this before and it hasn't worked out. But with that caveat, you know, do whatever you can tolerate in terms of like, it, it all depends on acquisition cost. But I would be so interested to see Jeff Skinner uh, stick in the on the top line. And I think the new Buffalo lines are actually really interesting. I'm going to recap them again. We've got Skinner, Eichel, Olofsson on line one, Hall, Stahl, Reinhardt on line two. If those lines stick, that means there are six fantasy relevant players in the top six out of six in Buffalo, whereas before... It was kind of like four because uh, you had Eric Stahl, like who was sort of fringe free agent, depending on your league. So, yeah, I am excited to see what Skinner can do here and also what Stahl can do playing with Hall and Reinhardt. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of bad news for Reinhardt not playing with Eichel, but maybe playing with Hall is fine. So, yeah, all things said... I think that we're on the same page here. If you could fit Skinner in, I like that it's Monday, Tuesday, right? So you could yeah. like just get it out of the way quickly. If you don't want to add him now, how about this? Watch the game. Watch Buffalo's game against the Islanders tomorrow. Have your finger on the add button for Skinner and see if he does anything. Probably if, you know, if no one's added him yet, maybe no one's going to add him unless they're like, listen to this podcast. <laughs> but if you're the only person in your league that listens, uh, then yeah, you could wait for Skinner to score a goal or something, do something good. And then, you know, to rush and add him. Maybe you don't have to waste the ad early until he does something. But Anyways, all right, so that's Buffalo and Minnesota. Another team that hasn't played in forever is the New Jersey Devils. I was going to say that, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves because they still had a bunch of players on the COVID list at the start of today, but I just saw news. This is Sunday night that we're recording this, and, like, a couple hours ago, it was, like, a whole bunch of players went off of the COVID list for New Jersey. So it seems like uh, they're they're going to be ready to go. Uh, obviously, you know, I'll believe it when I see it 100%, but they've got a game scheduled on Tuesday. Uh, I'd imagine a lot of leagues, only Jack Hughes is rostered from the devils maybe along with like blackwood and his who've been in ir from well before the postponed games so like skipping those three guys who obviously will say to grab if you can uh i'm the first guy i'm really excited to see is ty smith see if he could build on his eight points in nine games so far he was hot before things went cold uh obviously he's getting he was on that covid protocol list so who knows if he's been affected but he just he's one of the players who came off the list today I'm really excited to see what he's gonna do we already talked about kyle palmieri a couple shows ago like tldr was like he was cold before he went on the covid list uh and brian i recall you saying that you think he'll get back to being decent at some point but we might have to wait for his year to return and that's not happening this week um so those are two guys you can comment on them if you want the one guy i want to like zero in on though is you know a deeper league guy that's miles wood because wood had a hot start to the year goals in three straight games then he cooled off then he ended january with a huge two goal and one assist game versus the sabers before the games got canceled so i'm sure a lot of people when they're you know uh, ranking their free agents by total points in their league miles wood is right at the top of the list i'm sure they're wondering so okay is this for real should i add this miles wood guy and like from what i see nothing seems too great aside from these numbers right like he's skating on a line or at least in the last game it was with nathan nathan bastion and michael mcleod but hey he got two goals in his system that game so he figured it out somehow uh like anyways forget about like i'm not gonna ask you is miles wood gonna keep this up but do you think that he's worth 
adding if he's still in free agency or if you're like browsing through your list deciding who to stream in are you just like glossing over his name and not even giving him a second thought so i'm not totally glossing over miles wood's name because there are two headlines here worth paying attention to the first is he has 24 shots in nine games that's good almost three shots per game the other headline is that he's got five goals on those 24 shots which is lovely but definitely not sustainable here you've got miles wood a career eight percent shooter converting above 20 percent that said I am paying a little bit of attention because Miles Wood has seemed for a couple seasons, like we've mentioned his name before, as someone who could be a legit top six, even middle six player. Uh, so there is some upside. There is some potential there. Of course, the problem is that so long as he's not in the New Jersey top six and he's playing with uh, the anonymous players you mentioned. Okay, I'll name them. Nathan Bastion and Michael McLeod. Uh, there's not a whole lot of hope for points on a regular basis, but there is some value from Miles Wood in that he can give a boost to your shot on goal numbers uh, if and when that's something you need. If that isn't something you need, I would leave him in free agency. But Elon, can I throw out another deep cut in New Jersey is somebody uh, that we maybe should keep an eye on. Yeah, I'll just mention first about Miles Wood. Uh, I would check out game day lines, right? Make sure you're following the New Jersey line combos. They haven't practiced yet as far as I know, like before coming back on Tuesday. So who knows? Maybe he won't be on this anonymous line anymore, as you called it. Like maybe he gets on a line with some players that we've heard of. Maybe like one of the players you're about to mention. So I would check it out. If he gets good deployment, I'm definitely starting to get interested. But okay, who do you got, Brian? I've got Andreas Janssen, who okay. is off COVID protocol. So he went absent, I think, before the Devils did. I can't fully remember. But of course, this is his first season in New Jersey. And it's not like exactly as Kasperi Kapanen analogy, right? The, the Leafs had Janssen and Kapanen. Neither could make it in their top six. They sent Kapanen to Pittsburgh, Janssen to the Devils. And we expected more out of Kapanen before the season. But I just want to remind everyone when that deal happened, I was like, oh, okay, what could Janssen do on the Devils? And he started with a whole lot of nothing he only actually took one shot through his first five games two shots through his first six but then in his last three games before going on the shelf he had six shots and two goals which of course is not something terribly sustainable Uh, he had three points in his last four again like two of those were goals that aren't being scored as a sustainable rate but Janssen was playing with Jack Hughes for a, a chunk of it and Jesper Bratt and Nikita Gusev those were his three most common line mates so I'm at least interested like for me he's a watch list guy unless you're in a super deep league and he's worth taking a speculative flyer on but he is someone I am watching along with Miles Wood who actually could probably keep Miles Wood out of the top six yeah, and plus you mentioned a couple other guys like Jesper Bratt, Nikita Gusev. There are some players that could be good, so we'll wait and see. Obviously, you'd have to be in a pretty deep league. I guess I'll also make a reminder, we still don't really know what's going on with the power play, right? In terms of the defensemen, like Severson, Ty Smith, uh, P.K. Subban have all been getting shots on the top power play and second power play, and they've sometimes gone like 50-50 on the power play. So uh, if you need a D, there's a lot of leagues where all three of these guys are out there available. If I were to rank them right now, I'd go Smith first, then Subban, and then Severson, but I could really see it going in any order uh, do you have a order for those three, or do you want to just agree with me? We can move on. Uh, I, well, I mean, we played this. <laughs> That's a game, weird way to ask it. Yeah, yeah, we played this game last year, ranking the Devils D, but we had Vatnin instead of Ty Smith, and of course, Subban and Severson remain the same. And the answer was eventually there was like nobody that we could count on or rely on on a consistent basis. And we didn't recommend holding either of those devil's defensemen on like through the season or committing to them, even if they were on the top power play, I I don't feel like a ton has changed since last year. So I'm going to rank them uh, similarly to you, Ty Smith, PK Subban and Damon Severson with the caveat that 
neither one might be worth holding too tightly onto. Yeah, I think the one thing that's changed is Ty Smith is someone who's come in with a big offensive pedigree. So far, he's looked good in like low ice time. A lot of people have been given reasons why Ty Smith is overperforming. And it's like, yeah, he's not even playing that much. He's getting some good luck. But with a rookie, maybe the coach is liking what he's seeing. And maybe Tyson starts seeing better deployment as the season goes on. Similar to like a... I don't know, like a Jack Hughes last season, or, or maybe maybe actually more like an Adam Fox, who I know like Ben then gave me some crap for like comparing Ty Smith to Adam Fox, but you know what I'm saying. He, he's the guy I think that has the most upside, but maybe it'll just turn out that Severson or Subban get better numbers this year just because they're veterans and they just like are going to play more. Uh, okay, so next up, let's go to Colorado, who's actually playing right now. So they hadn't played for a while, but they're back in action today versus the Vegas Golden Knights, and the big news in this game is Nathan McKinnon is back. So that, this was like the one silver lining of all the COVID postponements, is all these people who were probably freaking out when Nathan McKinnon got hurt a few weeks ago, I guess a couple weeks ago, was they thought they were going to miss a bunch of games. They only missed one game from McKinnon, and then all the other games got postponed. So theoretically, you're going to get almost every single one of these Nathan McKinnon games into your schedule at some point in the season. So that's awesome for him. Uh, he only has four, I, only, like, you know what I mean? Uh, relatively not so exciting, right? 14 points in 12 games on the year. He's definitely going to have to pick up the pace a bit to stay in that top three convo in fantasy for next season. Like, I think in most drafts this year, it was like some, you know, order of Dreisaitl, McDavid, and McKinnon going in the top three in drafts. Right now he's not top three, but obviously it's a very small sample size. He's only played these 12 games. Uh, let's look at what's going on. So this is a mid-game update, a classic Keeping Carlson thing here. So it's one nothing right now for Vegas. If we check out the lines, it looks like Landeskog was held out of today's game. Uh, I think it's COVID-related, so uh, unfortunate, and we'll have to wait and see how long he'll be out. Maybe it'll be a Kuznetsov situation, or maybe it'll be like a Steven Stamkos who's apparently ready to come back in the next game because it ended up not being a positive test. So I don't know. But today's game, uh, Brandon Sod's been playing on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen and then Kadri's been centering Burakovsky and Yunus Donskoy so if this sticks you know you gotta like Brandon Saad so far it's one nothing Vegas Colorado hasn't scored a goal yet but you can't argue with playing with McKinnon and Rantanen right yeah Brandon Saad getting a nice bump to the top line and you can't ignore that he's had some opportunity so far this year and has been very off and on with what he's done with it like he has eight points in 12 games but uh, seven of those points came in a four game span. So if you gave up on him before that four game span, uh, then you didn't get any of it. So for sure, definitely look into Saad for as long as he's into that top line. Okay, one last team who hadn't played for a while, and now they're back. And I want to talk about them is the Washington Capitals, who, was, who were off all last week uh, before today versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so I'm just going to do another quick dip into the game scores that weren't available to me when I was prepping this show. And so two big names that came back for Washington are Justin Schultz and Evgeny Kuznetsov, who had missed time before. Justin Schultz, if you remember, Brian, had three straight multi-point games going into today. And now he has another, a power play assist. Uh, Washington lost 6-3, to three, but Schultz got a power play assist, looks like from the second power play unit. I know that you said, like, back when we were talking about Schultz before he got injured, that, like, okay, yeah, he has three straight multi-point games, but I don't expect it to continue. He's going to go back to being the boring Schultz that he was before, uh, like, Dmitry Orlov was out of the lineup. But now, at this point, like, I feel like a lot of people are going to want to add him. So you're going to have to make a really strong plea to them why not to add him now that he's got points in four straight games. Because uh, he's Justin Schultz, man. <laughs> we've done this so many times over the years. There has never been a time where we where we've seen a burst of productivity from him, and it's lasted. He's like he's like he's not quite the defensive ger- version of Jordan Stahl because Jordan Stahl has delivered for longer stretches than Justin Schultz has. But he's similar in the way that he produces 
it seems at random and it's great to have money does, but the second he doesn't, you want to get rid of him. And you don't want to make the mistake of giving up too much at any point to add Justin Schultz. So there is our classic Justin Schultz talk. Yeah, I mean, I might ride the hot streak, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting That's what it to I'm last. Saying. Yeah, Go ahead, exactly. ride the hot streak, but give up quick and don't give up a lot to get him if you don't already have him on your roster. Okay, uh, I wanted to mention on Washington that Evgeny Kuznetsov came back. He was gone for a really long time. I knew because he was on my couple team. Scored a goal. So how about that power play goal? The one that Justin Schultz assisted on. Uh, so that's actually a little concerning that he was on the second power play. Verana was on the top power play, which is obviously great. Verana also scored a goal today at even strength. So there's lots of potential interesting Washington guys. I'm not expecting Kuznetsov to be off the top power play for long. I'd imagine it's just like a easing someone in after being away and being sick for a bit. But uh, something to watch. I don't really have a question about him. Oh, Verana. I wanted to ask you about Verana just because you love him. Like he was dropped in your couple division. And I remember you were like messaging me right away. Like, okay, how much fab are we talking? Like how, you know, to you, it was like, okay, foregone conclusion. I need to get Verana on my team. How much do I need to spend to get him? Uh, And I guess for good reason, right? Eight points in 11 games going into today. So now with his goal, that's nine points in 12 games. So you're super high on him. I take it. Do you think he potentially is going to hold this top power play spot? And like, how high do you think he'll be? He's still available in a lot of leagues. Yeah. So he had a great game today, which is really awesome. So way to go, uh, Jacob Rana for at least making me feel good after having invested some, some fab in him to add him on my team. I like Rana a lot, as you know, from doing the show with me over the past few years, he's in that group of guys like Anthony Mantha and Oliver Bjorkstrand and Timo Meyer and Victor Arvidsson, who we saw good things in low deployment before they broke out and got opportunity, which as an aside, that group today is so sad, right? Like they all had that exciting stretch where they all broke out, but Mantha, Bjorkstrand, Meyer and Arvidsson, no one is clamoring for them now. Even though Mantha and Bjorkstrand stock was sky high going into the season, they're just both getting uh, submarined by Uh, weird coaching decisions mostly, which you hate me saying. I know I I don't blame it all on the coach. They're also not doing so hot themselves, but still, anyway, we're talking about Jacob Vrana, who is still doing a lot of what we've liked about him for the last couple seasons. I like Vrana as a reliable 55 point player who with time on the top power play, I think could legitimately approach 70 points. I think it's most likely that Vrana is often on that top unit landing around at a 60 point pace. He and Kuznetsov are both really similar in terms of value. They both take maybe a couple shots per game. They play together. So their fortunes are, are quite tied and they both take turns on the top power play. So between Kuznetsov and Vrana, if you're asking me, I don't know if you asked me which one I prefer, but I just want the guy on the top power play who uh, has been Vrana most recently. So long-term, of course, I have no idea who's going to be on the top unit. Like, do you think that my prediction of Vrana and Kuznetsov taking turns on the top unit is right? Or do you have a hunch about who's going to last longer there? I mean, my hunch would be Kuznetsov just because he's, you know, like he's been the one that's been there for so long and it's been one of like the top most successful power plays in the league. Uh, so, but I, for sure, it's like it could go either way. And yeah, Verona's super exciting, even if he's not on the top power play, but now that there's the fact that he can be there, plus he's on this line with Kuznetsov at even strength. So he's great. I remember when you were like deciding how much fab to bid on Verona, I threw it out there for you. I looked at your free agency list and I noticed that Adrian Kempe was out there and I was like, you know, like, is Verona even like that much better than someone like Adrian Kempe? Because Kempe, remember, was like super hot, taking a ton of shots. He's on the top power play in LA, producing. So I'm curious to know, like, at this point, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll definitely agree that Verona is better. But like, is he like a lot better, or are we at a point where Verona and Kempe are even in? You know, that's just a big reason for people to go and grab Kempe. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So you did give me this take, which made me a little crazy because I had the opportunity to add both, and I 
think I chose Rana and then eventually ended up adding Kempe as well. I love Kempe's shot rates and totals. And this take that Kempe and Rana were like similar enough to you did like it, it did kind of blow my mind a bit just because it felt so wrong. But then when I looked at it, I like it. I like the take. It was a good one. Uh, Kempe's value, of course, comes in the shots he takes, which about 50% of those have been coming on the power play, on the top power play, which is wild. Kempe is firing away there, but at even strength, the situation still is not as good as Rana's, right? He's playing with uh, Jeff Carter and Gabe Velarde, which is interesting. That Kempe Carter Velarde line has a lot of like fun upside and interesting business going on, but it's not a line I'm about to buy into the same way I will Verona, Kuznetsov, and Oshi. Um, also, not that it really matters. Well, I, actually, I guess it does. Uh, speaking of Adrian Kempe's high shot volume on the power play, curiously, that shot volume is coming from just below the blue line, like dead center of the ice uh, and drifting a bit towards the right face-off circle, which like these like umpteen shots coming from Adrian Kempe are not coming from high percentage areas. And his only one power play goal so far came from closer in where he only occasionally shoots from. So I love the shot volume from Kempe. I like him. Like think of him as better than Miles Wood, right? As a guy who can help you load up on shots on goal. Plus he has that top power play deployment, but I'm not totally sold on Kempe being able to follow through on any opportunity at five on five. I think best case for Kempe this year and best case, uh, and this might still be high, is that he paces, this sounds high, now that I'm saying it out loud, I wrote it in my pre-show notes, but you tell me, uh, is that Kempe paces for 55 points, pay, picks up maybe 15 points on the power play, and has uh, paces for more than 250 shots on goal over an 82-game season, all of which is nothing to sneeze at, but I think it's likelier that Kempe's closer to 50 points. He's been a 40-point player up to this point in his career, but the intrigue is certainly there for Adrian Kempe, uh, 24 years old, nice rates, increasing the deployment. So he's definitely someone to watch and I'm happy to have him on my roster to see where he goes with this, but I still would drop him before I drop Jacob Verona, but I would add him before I added Miles Wood. Yeah, that's all very fair. I don't think it's crazy to say like his upside is 55 points. I think that's like a fine. Like I think that that's not even so exciting of a thing to say. So Well, like, no, but it's also on LA. Like I can see Kopitar hitting 55 easy. I don't know that I could see anyone else doing it. I could see Kopitar hitting like 90. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then he brings his friends along with him. All right, so Brian, we've still got a lot more. I guess these haven't been technically out juries. They've been more just like teams coming back after a long break, which kind of works out the same as an out jury. But we've got some real life regular out juries coming up in just a sec. So stick with us on Keeping Carlson. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, welcome back. So like I said, Brian, I want to get to some outjuries now. I want to go to Edmonton first. Mike Smith is back for the Oilers. Finally got his first couple of games in, and he was 
amazing, like phenomenal. He stopped 27 of 28 in his return game versus Ottawa. And I'm sure a lot of people thought, whatever, it's versus Ottawa, doesn't count. Followed that up on Thursday with a 38 save shutout of the Montreal Canadiens. So Mike Smith, whatever he was doing during his time off, like his rehab, I want some of that because I could use a burst of productivity in my work that I've never been able to see before. Because like we did not expect Mike Smith to be this good at this age on this team. But so far through two games, that's amazing. Uh, of course, it super complicates the situation in Edmonton for the goalies, right? A lot of people drafted Miko Koskinen, like knowing that he wouldn't be like the best for rate stats, but figuring like, okay, but whatever, it'll be worth it because he's going to play like a lot, probably get a lot of wins, like have a lot of saves. But now I've got to imagine like at least for the short term, Smith is going to take over or at least be a 50-50 guy. Like I'm sure the Oilers' Dave Tibbetts going to be happy to go with his favorite guy, Mike Smith, especially while he's doing well. Uh, Koskinen managers got like some reprieve recently. He went on the IR, like he got IR plus status for being in contact with Jesse Pugliarvi, who was on the COVID protocol list. And now Pugliarvi's off the list. So I, I'd imagine Koskinen's going to lose that flag. I stashed him in IR in the one league where I have him. I'm going to try to keep him there as long as I can to sort of see this play out because Koskinen goes from being someone who was like worth having on your team just because of the volume. Now, if, if he's just like a 50-50 guy on the Oilers, I have no interest in Miko Koskinen, right? Like, why do I even want this guy who's going to play 50% of the games and potentially blow me up every once in a while? So, Brian, how do you think this goes? Like, is it time for Koskinen owners to consider dropping him once he loses that IR eligibility? Oh, and I guess the other question I probably should ask, which is what I should lead with, is like, is like Mike's, I know what you're going to say, though, but like, you hate Mike Smith, but like, this is good, right? Like, should people go add Mike Smith? What's your take on the Oilers goalie situation right now? Well, you mentioned a tweet that I made in the pre-show, Elon, uh, about Mike Smith, where I uh, quoted a tweet where <laughs> that mentioned that Mike Smith had a league-leading 985 save percentage and just commented with a bunch of eye-roll emoji, which is true. Like, okay, cool, Mike Smith. Two starts, 985 save percentage. Congratulations to you and the beat writer who's loving it. Uh, but uh, I just, obviously, you know, I have very little faith that, well, that there's no chance that continues, but I have very little faith that anything good really continues. I mean, Koskinen certainly has not been good and is ripe for being usurped, but is Smith ripe to be the usurper beyond just being the ripe old age of 38 years old? And I've no reason to expect 38-year-old Mike Smith to be better than 37-year-old or 36-year-old Mike Smith, who were both increasingly worse than 35-year-old Mike Smith, who played 55 games for Calgary uh, his first season there after having spent six in the desert with the Coyotes. And uh, that's a problem for me that Mike Smith has looked worse and worse over the last couple of years, especially when the team in front of him in Edmonton ranks in the bottom quarter of the NHL and expected goals against. If anything, I think a healthy Mike Smith might actually help Miko Koskinen catch his breath, maybe, uh, who I think is droppable, like you said, for being a 50-50 starter. But maybe he's more valuable in leagues where he's already languishing because his manager gave up on him with all those blowups. But maybe now a Miko Koskinen spot start is worth a little more because he's rested and might be able to play up better to his uh, his upside and potential. Uh, but there's not much reason to hold Koskinen uh, or Smith long-term in my mind. I, I believe the Oilers will give Mike Smith a chance to run with it. I just think the odds are pretty low that he's going to be able to take advantage. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think this is like good for the Oilers that they can have goalies that play like half of the time each because neither of them I think are good enough to be full-time starters. I think that's what we've seen. But we've seen also last year Koskinen was pretty decent when he was was not playing like 100% of the games and he was playing like 55-60% of the games. But at this point in most fantasy leagues, it sucks because you probably drafted Miko Koskinen pretty high. But I don't know, it'd be hard for me to hold him. Like I said, I'm keeping him in my IR spot until I need to make another acquisition. And until then, uh, yeah, I just think it's probably going to be 50 50 because that would be the smart thing for them to do as long as mike smith can hold up and it sounds like or from what we've seen so far from his league leading save percentage through two games it seems like he's okay he's not totally done yet clearly uh okay so next up let's talk about an outjury of a player that i think you're going to be a little higher on zach Wierenski returned to the blue jackets after missing a few games and he returned on saturday picked up an assist so that's good news for people with Wierenski on their team but there's also some bad news because while zach Wierenski was on the shelf a guy named seth jones became red hot he's currently got a six game point streak and in this return game for Wierenski Seth Jones held that top power play spot that Wierenski momentarily stole before he got hurt and at this point like this top power play spot is a lot better than it was around the time Wierenski got hurt because now there's Patrick Laine on that top power play and that's obviously a much better place to be so I don't know like obviously I'm not saying that you need to freak out about Wierenski and obviously things can change and like Jones and Wierenski could swap or they could both end up on that top power play like, who the hell knows what Tortorella's gonna do uh but yeah Wierenski like still likely a 40 to 45 point guy like you're not gonna drop him but his you know I would be a little bummed if I had him on my team just because he was potentially gonna be in this really good spot when Line A arrived but yeah on the other side of it uh, we got to talk about these red-hot players on the Blue Jackets. Uh, this top line of Jack Roslovic, Cam Atkinson, and Patrick Laine are doing amazing. So far, Laine has four goals and an assist in six games since joining the Jackets. Cam Atkinson has scored in three straight games where he's also picked up four assists in those last two games versus Chicago. So he's pointing like crazy. Jack Roslovic, who was a nobody in Winnipeg, all of a sudden, like he went pointless on Saturday, but was on a run of four goals and five assists in six games before that. Whew. So here are my two questions for you. Number one. I'll start with number one. I'll let you answer it, then I'll ask number two, because I feel like I've been talking a while now. But is Atkinson now the clear second-best Columbus Blue Jacket forward to roster after Patrick Laine edging out Oliver Bjorkstrand, who's lost his top power play spot and only has one assist in his last three games after he went on a little run? Uh, and I know I'm eating crow here, because I'm the one who was saying going into the year that I'm not really high on Atkinson at all. But at this point, it would be really hard for me to not want Atkinson over Bjorkstrand with the deployment and the results we've seen lately. Oh, it's hard not to want anyone over Bjorkstrand, the way Bjorkstrand's season is going with lower deployment and poor rates. And I honestly think that's actually more the story than Atkinson being good. Uh, so I would say they're probably, I mean, sure, take the guy playing with Line and Roslovic. Like, is this going to stick? I just don't know how, how Roslovic had this great debut in Columbus and I love him for it. And we did advocate in the past for him to get a longer look as the second line center that Winnipeg was searching for for so long, but for whatever reason, uh, they didn't think he was up to the task. Clearly, he's getting that chance in Columbus. But truthfully, I think we're looking at too small a sample to really make any big decisions on. If you're asking me today, would I rather have Atkinson than Bjorkstrand? I'd say it's a push. Uh, Atkinson, we're excited about him because his three goals on his last 10 shots, uh, plus that Chicago game, like he picked up four points in that 11 goal game against Chicago, which was wild. And there were some lucky bounces involved there. I just think overall, Columbus has a ton to work out. Like John Tortorella had this quote not long ago 
uh, that said, uh, you know, we got to learn to play the way we play. I'm just paraphrasing here. And that we're building culture. Uh, we've had a lot of change and turnover in the roster. And there's a certain way that this team succeeds. And it's going to take a while to instill that in this new group of players. And if you look at it, it's like, yeah, okay, Pierre-Luc Dubois was there, but not. And now he's definitely not. Uh, Max Domi is new there. Josh Anderson is out. Patrick Laine is in. Miko Koivu was in, but now he's out. So there has been a lot of like, you know, everything, lots of dust being kicked up in Columbus all season long. And a lot of that dust is still in the air as it's being, as all this business is being sorted out by possibly John Tortorella. We'll see if he can, Uh, but I'm not ready to draw any long-term conclusions about anything we're seeing in Columbus right now, which I know is a frustrating answer, but I think to really make any definitive judgment on Columbus players, I think we might still have to wait a week or two or even three to see what this Blue Jackets team is supposed to actually look like, which is going to be an exercise in frustration for Oliver Bjorkstrand owners, especially in the meantime, if all these guys are free agents in your league, I would just go with whoever's succeeding. Uh, I don't think one, it's safe to say at this point that one long term is going to be a way better than the rest. Except actually, I will mention, you mentioned uh, Zach Wierenski off the top of this. I think he has more to offer than the 32 point pace he's currently on both at five on five and on the power play. So now is not a bad time to at least kick some tires if there's a frustrated Wierenski manager in your league. Yeah, if you get him for cheap, then sure, because he's got that really solid floor, even if he doesn't get the top power play. And usually he gets back there at some point. Yeah, Brian, I added uh, Cam Atkinson in our Fantasy Hockey Trades League at the beginning of this week, and he's been huge for us. I also added him in another 12-team league that I just joined. So he's still available in some leagues. I'd imagine that window is closing as he keeps on having great games. But yeah, definitely grab Atkinson. And also, like we said, I guess we didn't dig too much into him, but Jack Roslovic, maybe he's not going to hold this spot long-term. But right now he's on the top line and top power play with Line A. So if he's available in free agency, I can't imagine like how could you not add Roslovic like obviously if you're in a league like we were talking about at the start where Fiala's available then yeah gra- grab Fiala first but if it's a deeper league and Roslovic is out there I would want him on any on, on any of my teams right now I would definitely take Roslovic if he, if he was out there but unfortunately for me he is not but also like you said Brian Tortorella is going to Tortorella up the lines at some point and then we'll have to see where everyone lands. right now it seems like he loves Columbus native Jack Roslovic but okay, so next up, another outchery. Let's go to Carolina. Martin Nichas returned to the Canes on Saturday in the 4-3 overtime win over Dallas after missing three games with an upper body injury. Nichas had a nice return. He played 17 minutes and 41 seconds on a line with Trocek and Nino Niederreiter. And he somehow still assisted on a goal that wasn't by either of those guys. It was an even strength goal by Tavo Teravainen. So maybe it was off a line change or something. But either way, great return for Nichas. If you listen to the stream scheme by Dave Benton, a little spoiler here, he's got Nichas as one of his streamers of the week for next week and you know dave knows what he's talking about he looks at the schedule and tries to figure out the guys you want to look at and i definitely recommend that podcast by the way it's another gem so uh, we linked to it in the show notes you go to keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme and you can hear dave also laud martin nichas who is back and looking pretty good uh but brian i want to ask you about teravinen uh people are very worried about this guy he had a cold run after returning from covid uh now things seem to look better right like i said he scored a goal on saturday looks like he was back on a line with sebastian ajo and brock mcginn and he even got some power play time like more power time than he had been seeing on saturday so maybe this was the kind of thing where tevo was you know they weren't giving him the greatest deployment because they wanted him to get back into full top line top power play game shape so yeah what do you think brian like he only has three points in nine games he's probably available in a lot of leagues if not in free agency then you could probably get him for cheap or cheaper than usual off of the person who has him on their team so is he someone you go after because Tavo's gonna be just as good as he's been for the last couple of years or are you seeing a reason to actually be more concerned 
Yeah, I have no real reason to be concerned about Teravainen or change my outlook on him at all. He looks fine. Maybe he should have another goal, which with so few games played would make a difference in his point pace. That would be noticeable. But uh, yeah, now, I would be concerned about Teravainen if he wasn't with Aho, but he is. So I think we're going to be okay. If I wanted to nitpick, I'd mention that Teravainen is down 60 seconds of time on ice and night at five on five. But this season, who isn't? Right. And I guess the other thing that you could try to nitpick about Teravainen is that uh, the third piece with him in Ajo was Brock McGinn. But, uh, it, you know, and like you, you could point to, well, last year he had Svechnikov with him and that's why he did so well. Well, the year before that, it was Michael Furland as the third wheel on that Teravainen and Ajo line and Teravainen paced for 76 points in both those seasons. So I don't think that third piece is going to have too big an impact on Teravainen, which is why I am not. That's a lot of words to say I am not worried about Tavo Teravainen. Yeah, I guess we'll watch the deployment uh, because the reason why he got on the top line is Genny Svechnikov was playing on the third line with Stahl and Fogel, but no big deal. He's Svechnikov, right? So of course he got a point. <laughs> he's he's awesome. So I'm not too worried about him no matter what line he lands on. And Teravainen, if he could stick on the top line, I mean, I would love to see Aho Teravainen, and Svechnikov, but I guess Carolina wants to, you know, spread out the offense through a top nine. Uh, though speaking of Jordan Stahl, who, like I said, has been playing with Svechnikov most recently, Last week, I, we brought him up. I suggested, like, you know, he was on a hot streak. I was like, Brian, he's we've seen him do this before. I remember it was funny because I was like, I think you were prepping for me to ask, saying, like, is he going to keep this up? But I was like saying, he's done this before and he's done it for a while. And so do you think it's going to keep going? And you were like, oh, I thought you were going to ask, like, he's done this before and he's cooled off. And I agree that that's going to happen. But, like, so far at this point, this hot streak has continued. And I just have these memories of, like, Jordan Stahl going on 18-game hot streaks and then totally disappearing. But right now, we're still not even... <laughs> halfway through a potential 18 game hot streak so another two goals and one assist in three games this past week he's got 12 points in 10 games on the season still only 33 percent rostered on yahoo so brian jordan stall holy cow i guess i already asked you about him last week so let's make it a little more interesting i'll instead of just asking you straight up about jordan stall i'm going to annoy you with a classic ranking uh, potential free agents on a team type of question Let's assume that Hamilton, Ajo, Svechnikov, Teravine, and Trocek, they're all rostered in most leagues. The next group of guys in Carolina who've all been looking pretty good is Jordan Stahl, like I said, 12 points in 10 games. We've got Martin Nichas, 6 points in 9 games so far. Nino Niederreiter, really looking good this year on the Trocek line compared to previous years, uh, 7 points in 12 games. Then you did bring up Brock McGinn, who was on a 4-game goal streak on that Ajo line that finally ended on Saturday. So of these 4 guys, how would you rank them in terms of who you'd want to get on your fantasy team? Okay. For the short term, let's say. Let's say for like the next couple weeks as a stream. Yeah. Okay, so as a stream, actually my answer is probably about the same as a stream or long term. Uh, the only flip might be, okay, as a stream, I'd say Nichas, uh, then Jordan Stahl, then Niederreiter, and then Brock McGinn. Full season, I might just move Nino Niederreiter as the second player above Stahl. Of course, like Niederreiter probably has a lower floor, uh, but you asked me for the stream. So the reason I, I like Nietzsche's the most is because he's definitely been handed the reins a little more this year. He's seen two more minutes a night at five on five and has no goals at five on five so far this year. So one should be coming at some point. So far, he has just one goal on 22 shots. It's really nice to see Nietzsche's shooting on the second unit. Uh, which he's doing more than last year because he rarely shoots at five on five. So it's nice to see he's got a bit of a shooting role on the power play, which helps make him pretty relevant night in, night out. Uh, and then I'll also mention Brock McGinn, who I had at the bottom end of this list, uh, four goals on 10 shots. I feel like his best case is probably uh, Michael Furland, right? Who I just mentioned, who had 45 points a couple of years ago in the same roster spot. 
And then Nino Niederreiter, the reason I like him is uh, his shots on goal are pretty good, at least, even though I don't think he's going to produce as reliably as Nichas will. Uh, Caroline has some really interesting lines right now, and I don't know whether they're going to stick or not. I don't think the trade with uh, Cedric Paquette, they've already waived Alex Galchenyuk, is going to change much. And they they traded uh, Ryan Dezingle, who's basically been scratched the entire season. So uh, just keep an eye on those lines and see how they shift and shake up. But that second line with Trocek, Nichas, and Niederreiter could, uh, could offer some value. I feel like all three of those guys could be owned in some formats. Yeah, they're all rostered in uh, tier one of the couple. That's for sure. I have Niederreiter on my team. I don't think I would drop him for Nichas if Nichas was out there. I think I'd rank them maybe Nino, Stahl, Nichas, and then Brock McGinn. But it might be close. Wow. You higher on Niederreiter than me. I never I thought I'd see the day. Hey, I'm looking short term right now. Nino is uh, looking good. Yeah, maybe like Minnesota, Nino Niederreiter is back. Or maybe it'll change and he'll get dropped back to a line with whoever, Warren Fogle, in a game or two. He's but right just, now I'm uh, liking him. Yeah, he's got a strange stat line, right? Six goals and one assist, and it's great. He's taken 35 shots, which is a, a nice amount for 12 games, and his shooting percentage is not, like, I wouldn't even really say it's high based on his career averages. Like, sure, a titch, but nothing to be, like, totally discount his goal scoring from. Uh, but he's still only pacing for 48 points. I guess you just, like, you're assuming or hoping that he's going to get more assists than he has so far, which I think is fair. Plus, also, I love shots, right? The couple, yeah. we count 0.5 points for a shot. It's like a tenth of a goal. And so if he's going to throw me four or five shots on net every game, that's already half a goal. So I'll take that. And plus, some of them will go in. And then you got a lot of points. Uh, so yeah, I'm liking him so far. Okay, let's do another outchery here going to Arizona. Oliver ekman Larson returned for the two games versus St. Louis on Friday and Saturday. He had nothing on Friday aside from a couple shots and three hits. On Saturday, he got on the score sheet, one assist, along with three shots and four hits and a block. So ekman Larson filling the score sheet for you. Uh, unless your league counts plus minus, in which case you maybe didn't enjoy his return because he was a minus two in each of those games. So uh, that's, I guess, always something to be concerned about if you're in one of these archaic leagues that counts plus minus, uh, like the one I just joined, actually, and I had OEL. I like took over for a team just like last week, and OEL was on my IR. I was like, oh, he's coming back. I guess I'll put him on my team. Then boom, he killed me in plus minus category. So what are you going to do? Can't change the league rules midway through a season. Uh, anyway, I feel like we know who OEL is at this point. Like, I don't really want to bug you with the same question I've asked like a million times like what's the upside of Oliver Ekman Larson I think the real big story here that I'd love to dig into is as predicted Jacob Chikrin seems to be pretty unaffected by OEL returning I know a lot of people have been saying well yeah Chikrin's doing good but once OEL comes back Chikrin's gonna get bumped you know pish posh uh, on Saturday uh, check out this stat line for Jacob Chikrin an assist okay six shots on goal five hits a block he had top power play time he's now up to 11 points in 14 games on the season and in fact like Chikrin's amazing peripherals along with the points obviously have him ranked sixth in average points per game in the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league the only defenseman ahead of him it's a pretty nice list of names right headman petrie theodore john carlson and nurse darnell nurse is uh, having an amazing season we've brought him up before uh, he's actually currently ahead of kale mccarr in terms of fantasy points per game and i'm not saying that's gonna last but it's not as if kale mccarr is having a bad season right it's just like with chicken getting all those hits and blocks and shots like Ah, he's so good, Brian. I got him for $3 in the draft. I love him so much. I have him also in my Dynasty League. What's my question for you? I don't know. Just, I'm right, right? Like, Chikrin's amazing. Uh, uh, do you think he'll stick? Okay, here's the question. Do you think he'll stick in the top 10 of Kakupful defensemen in average points per game by the end of the season? Top 10 for Jacob Chikrin? Wow. You know, that's a really interesting marker to watch for. He's currently on a 65-point pace, which is probably 
a touch rich, but I don't think 55 to 60 points with great peripherals is out of the question. First off for Jacob Shikrin, as we've mentioned, I think last week and maybe even the week before that, Arizona continues to be one of the top offensive teams at five on five, leading the league in expected goals four per 60 minutes. They're actually fourth. Elon, do you want to take a stab at naming any of the other teams that are in the top five this year in expected goals production at even strength? I know one of them is the Ottawa Senators because of your great tweet today. Yeah, that's wild, right? That Ottawa (laughs) continued. Last year, they were in the top 10 also, but they have this shooting percentage that's awful. So I think there's something that Ottawa is doing that's short-circuiting expected goals because it's always high, but their conversion rate is always so low. So maybe they take from great to take a lot of shots from really great positions, but they don't have the quality of finishers. It's a very interesting... Uh, yeah. Anyway. I mean, I've said this before, and not to be flamed here. No. I don't know about, I don't know about this stat. Like, I, like I, it's a good stat. It's, it's like, a useful piece. to look at. Yeah. It's a piece, but I don't think it's telling as big of a story as maybe some people are, because it's not taking into account where the shot went in the net. You know, like, they, it's like they, take, they keep track of, like, where the person shot from, but a big part of shooting in hockey is the accuracy and getting it to where you want. Also, there's the velocity of the shot. Like, I feel like those are two huge pieces yeah. that are not included in this formula, so I wouldn't put, like, too much weight into it. Well, no. But obviously, but it, it's worth it, something. Yeah, it's an interesting way to measure offense. It's not, like, you can't look at it and be like, yeah, this is it. This is exactly, yeah. like, no well, one's Well, I feel like the way people say it sometimes is, like, well, yeah, Ottawa was expected to score this many goals, and it's like, well, no, this stat says, like, according to this model. Well, you know what I mean. And never, we're I never really hear people say it that way. That sounds like a straw man to me. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Anyway, that's wild. It's just the fact that when you say that Ottawa and Arizona are in the top five, <laughs> yeah. that makes you go, like, how real is this stuff? There's one other shocking team also. So Carolina leads. I'll fill that blank in. New Jersey is uh, in the top five as well. Oh, they were the team. Crap. I messed up. <laughs> okay. Carolina, Montreal, and New Jersey, Ottawa, and Arizona are the three surprising teams uh, at the top of the table in league expected goals for. So that's that's good news for Jacob Shikrin to bring it back to Arizona. Uh, it translates to another half an expected goal per 60 while Shikrin is on the ice at five on five. But the story here, of course, is on the power play where, get this, Elon, are you ready? This is like the headline of the whole episode. Jacob Shikrin leads all defensemen in power play shot attempts per 60 minutes and power play expected goals per 60 minutes. He and John Carlson are in a league of their own, specifically in expected goals as defensemen taking a ton of high danger shots on goal. That Arizona power play is revolving around Shikrin and it shows in how Shikrin is already up to five power play points in 12 games. Pretty sure he's going to eclipse his career high of eight power play points in a season. So I'm not going to burst your bubble that Shikrin can be a top 10 contributor in leagues like the Cupful that reward those peripheral categories and still have a big emphasis on scoring. I guess the one caveat I'm going to give, and I don't even know it's a caveat, but you know, this is my style. I always have to try and throw something in there is that the Arizona power play is just working average at best. So if they did want to try and improve it, maybe that impacts Shikrin. Like, I don't think he gets cycled off, but maybe it doesn't go quite as through him as it is now. But I honestly, I, I don't even think that that would be the fix. I think Shikrin is the best man for this job. There's not a whole lot of other offensive excitement. So if Shikrin's doing something well, why don't you let him keep doing it and see if things improve? So I'm excited to see Shikrin run with this job. And yeah, maybe be a top 10 contributor in fantasy this season, which is amazing. Congratulations to everyone who snagged him in their leagues. Uh, average draft position in the cupful, 167th. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I asked about top 10 defensemen, not top 10, oh, like, sorry. overall. sorry, yes, that, <laughs> yeah. that, I thought that was implied. I'm not going to go, like, so rich. He's not Brent Burns from a couple of years ago now. Uh, yeah, I love him. Hey, uh, but as much as I love him, Maddie and I have him in our Dynasty League, and I know a lot of the people in the league are listening, so you could throw us an offer for Chikrin, but uh, you're going to have to pay quite a lot, as you can tell. Okay, uh, let's go to some more outcheries, okay? How about, like, uh, this one's not an outchery that's happened. It's an upcoming outchery, which is still important to know about. Vladimir Tarasenko was on the ice on Friday with some teammates after the Blues' optional morning skate. Uh, here's a quote from the coach. His return is likely still weeks away, but he is making strides in his recovery from shoulder surgery. Actually, I think that's a quote from Roto World. I don't know who actually said that. But anyways, yeah, so he's not going to come back this week, but it might be sooner rather than later. Super exciting for anyone who drafted and stashed him, right? Like, at the time of our fantasy drafts, it was kind of more like, we don't know what's going on with Tarasenko, like his return timeline is completely unknown and it was just like that made me scared and i had the option to get him or tyler sagan i was thinking i wanted to get one of these guys who i can draft and stash for cheap in my draft i went with sagan because at least he had a timeline kind of wish i could have a do-over there because tarasenko looks like he might be back in a couple weeks and tyler sagan it might not be till april still anyway so that's nothing actionable there yet but something to keep in mind can i just ask you a question elon how many leagues do you roster tarasenko in currently yeah None. Okay. I asked this because I roster Tarasenko in one league and uh, I've maxed out my IR spots in that league too. And so I'm burning roster space while holding Tarasenko. And I got to say my fuse is running pretty short. I like, I know, I know it's crazy to sell him now when he seems like he might be coming back, but all, all it said when he came and did his cameo on the ice during practice was that he's still weeks away. Like to me, this doesn't change his timeline. He was supposed to be reevaluated mid-February. Today's February 14th. It's ex- happy Valentine's day, by the way, it's exactly mid-February and I don't see any reevaluation happening and I'm frustrated by it. I thought I'd know when we could expect Harris go back at this point, but I don't. So I'm just going to put it out there and you can tell me if this is too spicy for you. But if you are bleeding games played because Tarasenko is taking up a valuable IR spot for you, which means you're burning a roster spot on your active roster that you could normally have a healthy player in. But uh, maybe it's something to at least consider to sell Tarasenko at a moment when other people might have seen, oh, he's coming back soon. This would be a great like I could I could just add him to my roster without having had to deal with him for the last month. Uh, tell me if that's too spicy to see what no, you can I get mean- back. If you're I just, in, a, in this like terrible situation where your IR is brimming and you don't like keep in mind that Brian your IR might be brimming does this include like COVID players who are about to come back next week and then all of a sudden you'll have room like oh uh, yeah if you're in this unfortunate situation where you don't have room like I was thinking more in terms of like Tarasenko is just in your IR for free you don't have to worry about it then you're happy how uh, many yeah I, I I would be willing to wager that Tarasenko is in not a lot of IRs for free because how many players have been constantly like how the constant stream of injuries this year, it's cost more than it normally would have to stash Tarasenko all season long. And if we're looking at the prospect of him being out weeks still, like maybe uh, like to me, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he'll be back in a month. Then maybe you cash in on the hype and excitement from his practice appearance to, uh, to sell and get some 
warm, healthy bodies on your roster. I Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I don't know. I've had like Tyler Sagan in my IR and Kakupfel, like I said, and I, it hasn't been a concern for me. Like I haven't gotten full or I've been full, but not over full. Uh, but like, I think the thing is, like, I think you and I had very different expectations going into the year for Tarasenko. Like, I think you're, you were expecting that like this February, mid-February timeline was going to be like, and then he'll be back like, a week after that. I was thinking, no. I was being really pessimistic going into the year. I thought like he'll be reevaluated February, mid-February. He probably won't be back until like April, like playoffs. So this to me is like huge news and a lot better than I was expecting. But if you were like, you know, expecting something more then yeah, it depends on what you were yeah. hoping for. I'm not saying I was expecting he'd be back sooner. I was just expecting to know a little more by this point. I don't know. We'll talk. Uh, it's a good point. Like it's a good suggestion. If you want to trade him now, he probably has a bit of a spike in value because people have been seeing him on Roto World over the past couple of days. Uh, anyway, since we're on St. Louis, oh by the way, uh, Adam's asking: Is Tank even guaranteed top power? Like I really don't want to start speculating. Like it's a good question, but like who who the heck knows what's going to happen? Like in the two, three, four weeks before Tarasenko comes back, so we'll definitely figure it out as we go. But yeah, maybe not guaranteed. Like Mike Hoffman wasn't guaranteed top power play, but Tarasenko's usually there. Anyways, okay, so. Next up, I wanted to bring up Justin Falk, who I mentioned earlier on in the show. Big game on Friday, right? Two goals and an assist, four shots, two hits, two blocks. Plus, he saw more than 50% of the power play time. Uh, so, yeah. Then on Saturday, though, kind of disappointing. Like, no shots or points. But he did play 25 minutes, including what looks like power play time on ice with the group that looks like very top unity with Hoffman, Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, and Oscar Sunkvist. So Sunkvist doesn't seem to fit in. And I did mention that Hoffman hadn't been on the top power play for a while. So I think St. Louis, they're still figuring out what they're doing with the power plays. But one thing we do see is that Justin Falk is a part of this story. And like last year, there were times where he wasn't even on either power play. So obviously something has changed. So I don't know. Like I'm curious to get your take on Justin Falker, who's a guy who, like, if you recall, back in the early days of keeping Carlson, we were into him on Carolina. He had like a really good year, I remember, like like 2015 or something. And then after that, he just held that top power play spot and didn't do anything with it. And it was very frustrating because people would ask us, "Should I drop Justin Falk?" We'd be like, "Well, he's in this good spot. Like, how can you drop him?" Finally, he went to St. Louis. It was a total bust last year. And now that they get Tory Krug, now all of a sudden it's Justin Falk getting this new opportunity. So I'm curious to get your take on, like, is he someone that you, like, rush to grab out of free agency if he's still out there and, like, you definitely hold on and you feel like you've just, like, hit the big lottery? Or at this point, is it like, yeah, Falk had a good game on Friday and if people are excited about him, now's a good time to try to trade him because he's going to go back to being Justin Falky in a week or two? I don't know what you can get back for him. I guess I think someone... a lot. I just saw someone being like, I don't know if this is like not the best example, but I saw someone being like, I'm sick of Eric Carlson. Should I just trade him for Justin Falk? And that was like a question on our Discord channel. And it was like, this was, this was a person who thinks that Justin Falk is really good. I don't know. So anyways, I definitely think you get something back. So I don't want to just like say right away, like wipe it off. Like no one's into him. It seems like people are into him right now. Before we move on, what was your answer to that question about Falk for Carlson? I think I said go for Falk. I don't know. I'm pretty tired of Carlson <laughs> at this point. We're all, I mean, we, I feel like people come to us, like for that final piece of permission as known Carlson lovers. Like, can I, can I? And we've been giving a lot of permission lately. I don't know if I do Justin Falk for Carlson, but if it's a like super low acquisition cost, you you got it. Or not even super low, medium acquisition cost, lower than Eric Carlson. I I would take that swing with Justin Falk. He's 100% rostered in the couple, which you could find out, by the way, at kkupfl.com, the greatest fantasy resource website. Honestly, you I won't even, uh, should I get into it? 
Go for it. Couple.com. It's amazing. Kevin keeps adding all these amazing features. The latest feature blew my mind. It's like I could go and look at the free agents in my couple division and rank them by couple percent rostered, which is like so much more valuable than Yahoo percent rostered because these ding dongs on Yahoo, most of the people <laughs> don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, if I see that there's a player in my free agency in tier one that's rostered in 80% of divisions throughout the other 23 teams in couple, I don't know. This is a player that I should be getting on my roster. Like, what am I waiting for? So yeah, I love it. And that's just one of many features there. It's a great site. Couple. Yeah. And you don't need to be a Kukupful manager to use it. Like you can, anyone can access the percent rostered from the Kukupful and you can make decisions based on that to know who is uh, really worth watching. And you can also sort by the difference between Kukupful ownership and Yahoo ownership. So you can find the guys with the biggest gap and trust that the players in the best fantasy league in the world know what they're doing. So again, kkupfl.com for uh, like a treasure trove of player yeah. analysis. It's crazy. So what were we talking about here? Justin oh, Falk. Justin Falk. Okay. Um, yeah. So, okay. I'm not getting too excited about him is, is what I'm going to say. His numbers uh, can look pretty pedestrian. Uh, they do look pretty pedestrian without those multi-goal games he's had. But, you know, a couple shots on goal uh, per night with upside for five plus a few hits and the upside for scoring is a reason to take that swing. I'm not sure what the future looks like for him on the top power play, but we've seen Falk not deliver there for so long that I'd be really surprised if all of a sudden he starts delivering there. Like he has tried and failed so many times to successfully quarterback a top power play. And that's why if I'm a Tory Krug manager, I'm not so worried. I'm also hopeful that this history is on my side and that Justin Falk hasn't finally figured it out or this is the new magical situation where he can succeed. Like if you're a crew owner, you have to be a little worried. Absolutely. But I'm not about to toss him aside because Falk has taken over. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, it is kind of just interesting because we saw earlier this year Tyson Barry got bumped from the top power play on Edmonton for a bit, and we probably overreacted, and now Barry's doing fine, and so maybe the same thing will be happening here with Tori Krug. Krug hasn't been terrible, but not like as exciting maybe as people thought when he came over from Boston. I just think it's just interesting, right? Like, Falk is someone who was initially supposed to be a potential top power play candidate when he came over from Carolina, and now he's getting a shot. We'll see. I think it could be like 50-50 the rest of the way between the two, but makes them both kind of interesting. Uh, by the way, if you want a really deep cut, so if you're in a super deep league, I like to throw some of these out there every once in a while. There's a guy named Ivan Barbashev, who's been playing on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron lately, and he has points in three straight games, including a goal and an assist in the 5-4 overtime win over Arizona yesterday. Brian, have we ever talked about Barbashev on the podcast? Doesn't seem like a name that I'm used to saying. Uh, any chances could last? Like, I know Jaden Schwartz is injured, so maybe that's the reason why Barbashev got into the top six, but I'm just curious to know, like, is he a guy who's on your radar at all? Seems like a decent guy to stream if you could fit him in next week while he's on that top line and producing. For sure. I mean, we've liked guys like Sammy Blaze in, in that spot before so why not i think it's ivan barbashev Yvonne, of course i'll, I'll go there uh, i think we did talk about him about three years ago barbashev was uh seeing time with vladimir tarasenko uh, but for by and large in his career has not had a whole lot of opportunities 25 year old has been a fourth line player and so gets like 30 points in a year so he hasn't been great for much uh, but he has at least shown the ability barbashev to put up shot shots when he plays more than nine or 11 minutes a night. Now that he's seeing 17 minutes a night on uh, the top line, that's a really good catch, Elon, by you as a streamer option, as someone who might at least put up shots, if not put up points during his stay in the top unit. 
Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know if it was me who noticed it. I think it was my opponent in Cupful this week, Jordan, who added Barbashev to his team. And it was a pretty good stream. Now he's dropped him. So now I'm wondering if I should like take a look at him or not. I guess we'll find out. But yeah, you always got to be paying attention. Here, right, here's a really deep cut for you. So let's go to Chicago next. Uh, Adam Boakvist has been activated from the COVID list. Didn't play in the 3-2 overtime win over Columbus on Saturday. Uh, but with Boakvist out, it hasn't been Duncan Keith on the top power play in Chicago. It's been a guy named Nicholas Baudin, who has been on the top power play on Chicago for the last couple of games. He's had no points from that top power play, but it doesn't matter because he has two goals and an assist in these last two games. Plus, you know, this upside for power play production while he's there. I don't know if like when Boakfist returns, if he takes that spot that Bodan has been in, but uh, this is definitely a guy who I know we've never talked about before. So Brian, who is Nicholas Bodan? Uh, because Chicago has a nice schedule next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and that's two games versus Detroit and two games versus Carolina, who haven't been seeing the best goaltending with Petr Mrazek out. Uh, so is this Nicholas Bodan guy worth a stream? Or maybe should people just wait and see like some practice lines? See, like, who knows? Like, it could be possible that we say, like, go look at Nicholas Bodan and then like Boakfist comes back and Bodan is like healthy scratched, right? To make room for Boakfist. So I don't know what's going to happen, but he's definitely a guy I had to bring up since he's been producing and he's in a cool role. Yeah, a cool role exactly for Nicholas Bodin, who usually when you say, who is this guy? I'm going to be honest, I've heard of them before. I can't say that about Nicholas Bodin, who I guess is the better option than Duncan Keith to quarterback the top unit, at least momentarily. I did read the review on The Athletic of his game from Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers, who mentioned that he had this brutal giveaway at the blue line, uh, that, but then made up for it. Uh, by scoring a goal himself, as you mentioned. Uh, but who is Nicholas Baudin? Drafted in the first round, 27th overall in 2018 by Chicago. He's small, 5'11", 168, and had an offensive resume from his time in uh, Drummondville of the QMJHL in his junior career. But of course, who doesn't have an offensive resume in that league? Meanwhile, he turned pro last season and had 15 points in 59 games played with AHL Rockford. So I, like, I, I don't know if there's any excitement here for Boda. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to watch. He's a, been deployed as a bottom pair guy so far. Fun to see somebody brand new get a look on the top power play. But keep in mind, uh, regardless of who Baudin is, it's been a while since anyone has reliably produced from that top power play quarterback position in Chicago. So that alone is reason for me to just be like, eh, whatever. Did you chuckle when I said that? Well, I didn't chuckle, but I made a little, uh, I don't know. Because, like, I mean, my memory is a little bit longer. Like, Eric Gustafsson had that amazing year two seasons ago. Last year, I remember Duncan Keith was really rocking at the end of the year after Gustafsson got traded. So it is a place where we've seen some success. Not really this year so far. I, agree I mean, you, you, say, anyway, you say rocking. Yeah. I think it's relative. I mean, I think he had, like, what, seven points in his last seven games of last season? I don't know. You can go check the final uh, 2019-20 numbers for Duncan Keith if you care to. Anyways, I agree with you. I'm not, like, adding Bodan. Like, he's a name, and, like, I'll watch it. And if he keeps producing, then maybe I'll reassess right now. I, I I would need to see a little bit more, even with that good schedule. Like I said, Bogfist is coming back, so that might shake everything up. Okay, here's an even deeper cut. Here's a guy I guarantee you you've never heard of, Brian. Uh, there's a player named Reese Johnson who played his second-ever career game for Chicago on Saturday, and he had five hits. He only played seven minutes of ice time, and he had five hits. His only other game was earlier this season. He played on January 31st, and he had seven hits in that game. So I don't even know if this guy is going to get in the roster more than, like, once every ten games. But if you're in a categories league and you need hits, and then you see, uh, you know, Game Day Lions tweet showing Reese Johnson on the fourth line in a wing spot, 
you're like, it seems to me like this guy's, he doesn't, doesn't matter how many minutes he gets. He's going to throw like five plus hits from this two game sample, at least. So just a, a name to know, you know, we always want to keep in mind who are these like huge hitters in the league. And I think there's a new one if he plays named Reese Johnson. Okay. Uh, great to know. So we've got Ivan Barbashev, Nicholas Bodin, and Reese Johnson. Yeah, rank as, them. As the, <laughs> as the three guys who we've mentioned on Keeping Carlson this week, who I, I will be shocked. Someone send us a clip if anyone else has talked about them, but that's the level of depth you get on our show. Uh, speaking of hitting, can I just go back a bit and talk about Miles Wood, who uh, someone in the chat mentioned, this is just my opportunity to go back, that he's known to hit, which is true. And that would be another reason to value him as someone to roster. But this year he has just two hits in nine games when last year he would pace for about one and a half hits per game. Another player whose hits have totally fallen off. And we did call this at the start of the season is Mark Borowiecki over in Nashville. He's playing oh, less him. and he's hitting less. So if you still have him, I mean, he's averaging uh, just over two hits a night, which is great, but it's not the four or five hits a night that he once upon a time did. Uh, back in 1617, had 352 hits in 70 games, which is just nonsense. Um, so if you're holding him based on his reputation, you could probably let go. He's had a few hits a night for his last three games, but perhaps you might be better served with Reese Johnson. Yeah, Borowiecki like was only rosterable when he was getting your five plus hits a game because yeah. he was doing nothing. So, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I think I wonder if some people are still just relying on his reputation. Oh, I, agree I haven't with you. checked his numbers. Get him out of there. Stream in Reese Johnson whenever he plays. If it's once a week, you'll get all your hits that you need. <laughs> uh, but Brian, uh, Maddie and I added him in our Dynasty League for free. And this is like a super deep league. Every prospect is owned. I just like sorted all the available free agents that are minors eligible by hits. And I noticed Reese Johnson there with like seven hits in one game. Uh, so uh, there you go. I'm good, at, I'm good with prospects now. Look at that. I just found a gem. Uh, Shane, by the way, is saying in the chat here, I know he knows his prospects. He's saying Bowden has good scoring upside. So. Here's someone in the know who is vouching for Bodan. But okay, let's go to the Islanders. Another upcoming outjury. Anthony Beauvillier is expected to return from his LBI for the Islanders soon. But I don't want to talk about Anthony Beauvillier. He's boring to me. Instead, let's use this opportunity to talk about the team's two leading scorers in Matt Barzal and Jordan Eberle. Like, Barzal, of course, is the headliner. He's been amazing. We haven't talked about him on the show this year yet. He scored a goal in the 4-2 win over Boston on Saturday, bringing him to 14 points in 13 games. These are Nathan McKinnon numbers, Brian. Uh, We were thinking going into to the season that Barzal like I don't know I remember thinking this like you know it was like yeah Barzal had that amazing season like his rookie year where he had like over a point per game but we were figuring like yeah that was like a different Islanders team they were scoring a lot more goals John Tavares was there and since then he's been more of like a hovering around 70 points ish and I didn't really see any reason to expect anything different this year like they didn't bring any new players but so far he's been over a point per game doing amazingly so do you think that maybe this iteration of the Islanders can support a point per game or higher Matt Barzal or are you seeing anything in his numbers to indicate that what he's is unsustainable i'd imagine you're going to say you don't like this high shooting percentage uh, that's one thing that's jumping out at me right away yeah that's exactly what jumps out to me too he's got five goals on 24 shots at even strength so that's not going to keep up for matt barzell and he's not shooting any more than he used to either like his rate stats under the hood haven't changed from the past couple seasons so I'm still going to hold the line that I don't think he's going to be a point-per-game player the rest of the season. His IPP is also real high. He's getting in on more secondary assists than he uh, has. Like, he's got over one secondary assist per 60. In the past two years, he's had a third and a half of a secondary assist per 60 minutes. So uh, that shooting percentage and that secondary assist rate, neither one seems like it's going to hold for him. So that's a reason to not believe that his current pace is going 
to last. Meanwhile, things on the power play are going pretty well for him. Like I don't have anything to take away from him there. So I like Barzell's power play production, but I do not like his five on five production to be sustainable. Yeah, so maybe trade him. Like, you know, I don't want to do a whole buy low, sell high thing, but just saying, like, probably he's not going to keep it up to this pace. So who knows? If you get Gensel for him, I don't know, that's a name I've heard people throw out whenever we're talking about a sell high. See if you get Gensel uh, or not. But, like, he's he's great. I would do I would that love, for sure. Yeah, I would love to see what Barzal can do on a different team. Like, it's kind of like Ricard Raquel. I would. Lo- I feel bad for someone like Ricard Raquel, who I know this is like a total non sequitur, but I was just thinking a couple of days ago how like imagine if this guy was on like just a different team that scored more goals. Like, Any other team, to- he could be having like a whole different career. He could be like a star in the league, and now it's probably like most people don't even know who he is outside of like you know fantasy players. Uh, I feel bad for these types of people, but Barzell obviously is a much bigger star than Ricard Raquel. Uh, I also wanted to ask about Jordan Eberle. I snagged him out of free agency in the Cupful uh, Tier One division. This is not playing with sl- uh, schlubs here. Uh, back on Monday, I spent seven dollars of my free agent budget i overspent i don't think i need to spend any i think there were no other bids uh yesterday on saturday one goal and one assist that brought him to nine points in 13 games on the year uh everly's been playing on a line with nelson and dal cole but on the top power play with barzal where he got his power play assist in that game on saturday i'm bringing him up because he is only get this 16 percent rostered on yahoo compare that to almost fully rostered in the cupful like over 90 percent most divisions in cupful are and this is like deep leagues in cupful right like 14 teams per league and Everly's rostered in all of them, but or most of them, but only what did I say? Like sixteen percent on Yahoo. So to me, this seems obvious that Everly should be rostered in m- most of these leagues. A lot of these leagues that don't have that have him in free agency on Yahoo. Well, we brought up like a guy like Roslovic earlier as an obvious ad. Do you think Everly is like in that conversation, or maybe even more so? Well, I didn't agree that Roslovic was an obvious ad, so I would take Everly oh. over Roslovic. I would take Everly over Atkinson. Elon, I what? might even take Everly over oliver bjorkstrand right now and the, let me just hear me out and then hey, you can I, you don't have to convince me man i i, I my, my follow-up question is am i the greatest fantasy hockey player <laughs> of all time because how am i getting all these great free agents <laughs> okay well my answer to that is yes, yes. Uh, but for jordan eberly the reason i'm so behind him is i mean you know i've been behind him for a long time pretty much his whole career but this year eberly is looking the best he's ever looked as an islander maybe even as an nhl i can't even find anything to pick at in his game or numbers he's on pace for somewhere between 55 and 60 points which by the way is where Everly landed last year in a very sustainable way which I feel like I may have mentioned once or twice before so yeah I would like to add him in a lot of leagues I don't know why Everly has such a bad rap he had one bad season in 2018-19 and the rest of his career he's mostly been a 60 plus point guy at least a 57 point guy otherwise there's no reason not to like Jordan Eberle. And the reason to like him over someone like Oliver Bjorkstrand is we don't know where that floor is for Bjorkstrand this year. But Eberle's floor is pretty nice, even though the ceiling is not Bjorkstrand's. So yeah, I am down with Jordan Eberle. And again, over Kim Atkinson, who I didn't mention when we talked about him, but I should have. His rates are garbage this year. They've been cut in half, his his shot rates and expected goals rates. So well, can I ask you something? Uh, before you continue on Atkinson and his crappy rates on the season, yeah. like almost like, can I just say like, who cares? Like, all I care about is his rates since he's been playing with Patrick Laine. Okay. Because who cares? We've had how many games of? Exactly. That's why I'm saying, like, let's ignore everything. Like, now since he's with Laine, who's clearly an amazing goal scorer, now he's doing so well. Okay. Like, yeah, so you can draw a line, but I'm not sure that the two are correlated. Like, it could be true that Atkinson still doesn't, like, Atkinson needs to score goals to be relevant, and he is not shooting the same way he used to. I'm going to actually pull up his specific numbers from those games. 
those games. Get the game log. Yeah, I've got, so I've got, I've gone over to Frozen Pool. I've brought up the game log. Okay, and you know what? There you go. Eight shots on goal in his last two games. Boom. So, uh, and before that, there were a bunch of ones and twos for him. So uh, again, it was against Chicago. So just keep that in mind. Uh, the last time the Blue Jackets played Chicago twice, he had six shots in two games. So, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know how much. I'm not jump- I know you're really into Atkinson right now. I mean, whatever. Like, I'm it's all open. relative. I'm open yeah. to it. But Eberle, his shooting is fantastic. He's actually this getting three or more shots almost every game this season, uh, except for two, three, where he's had zero shots on goal, which is weird. Like, you don't usually see those two extremes happening. But, uh, yeah, 15 shots over his last four games. So, go Jordan Eberle. Yeah, and I definitely don't mean to disagree with you in terms of, like, I like Jordan Everly a lot. I'd probably take him over Cam Atkinson right now as well. Uh, just saying, like, I just, I'm not going to put so much weight in the pre... Like, I'm excited about Atkinson, like, now, now that he's on the top line and top power play. Uh, Tortorella, as soon as he shifts that around, then I become less interested in Atkinson. But Everly, I guess Shane is bringing up also in the chat here, he was amazing at the end of last year, too. So it's been a long, like, really exciting, almost point-per-game run for Jordan Everly. And it's, like, criminal that he's not rostered in more leagues. Uh, but, hey, that's just an opportunity for you, the listener to go and grab yourself some Jordan Eberle stock. Uh, let's end the show with a couple injuries. Uh, so Tampa Bay had a rough lineup on Saturday. He They didn't have Steven Stamkos in there. He had a lower body injury. Then he ended up going on the COVID list, but now he's already off the COVID list. So I guess that was a false positive, but he might still have a lower body injury. Seems like like uh, Stamkos is going to be back soon. Like Maybe he'll miss one more game or maybe not even. So let's not worry about him. But Anthony Sorelli, we just got an update saying he's regarded as week to week with an upper body injury which is a real bummer for Tampa because obviously they're still without Kucherov and Sorelli's been like a really solid piece for them all season long. Uh, so we could take a look at the lines from Saturday, which I guess don't matter too much because Stamkos will be back, but like it gets really thin when you lose these pieces, right? It was Palat, Killorn, and Point on the top line. Uh, so Alex Killorn got the Stamkos spot and that's something to watch moving forward if you could get Killorn. He was also on the top power play with Palat, Point, and uh, Hedman and Sergachev, two defensemen on the power play. And then they shook up some other things. Barkley Goudreau was playing with Pat Marone and Yanni Gourd and Pat Maroon, I should say. Uh, Tyler Johnson with Coleman and Matthew Joseph. So it's all kind of boring, I guess. Uh, what's my question here? I don't know. Like, Sorelli, he's, he's injured. That's a bummer. Does anyone benefit from this? Or, like, or is it just kind of just bad news for everyone? Uh, yeah, I think it's probably bad news for everyone. It like this really exposes Tampa, right? I mean, good for them. They've got that. Uh, they had that Yanni Gord, Barclay Goudreau, Blake Coleman line going to help give them some depth, but it's crazy. And we've mentioned this before uh, without Kucherov, of course, but how quickly this roster thins out into role player types, like solid role player types, which is, I think the way the lightning have purposely built their team, but there's not a lot to love on this roster. Kalorn gets a bump, but I think that's it. And there's probably yeah. less scoring overall without Sam Coase. So I, I, I wish him a speedy recovery and hope he's back soon. Yeah, I guess like with Sam Coase, I'm expecting to be back. So Killorn loses that. And I think with Sorelli out, that just makes the second line worse. So yeah, uh, that's a shame. But uh, Tampa's a good team. And I'm sure they'll still win a bunch of games just because they have all that depth. For what it's worth, they just got destroyed in their last game in the shot attempt battle. So uh, so they're not off to a great start without Sorelli, who is their best two-way center, and without Stamkos, who is their best offensive center, and without Kucherov, who is one of the best offensive players in the league. So you can't blame yeah. Tampa if they struggle a bit, but it's going to be, like we said, bad news for everyone on the roster. 
Yeah, okay, so let's go on then. Just hope that Stamkos returns soon. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't practice on Sunday. Uh, he isn't expected to play tomorrow on Monday, according to Paul Maurice. And Maurice said that Dubois will accompany the Jets on their road trip, uh, but he has a lower body injury. He's day-to-day. So I don't know. Maybe Dubois will only be hurt for a little while, but it's worth bringing up. He's had two games now with Winnipeg, no points and no shots in those two games. So things couldn't have gone worse. Like imagine having drafted Pierre-Luc Dubois. Then he was like, you had him on your fantasy team. Then he got like healthy scratched for a couple of games on Columbus before getting traded. Then you find out that, okay, you're gonna have to wait like two weeks or whatever it was before Dubois is going to get into a game. You wait all this time just for him to play two games and have nothing, no points and no shots. So I'd imagine PLD owners or managers are like thinking like, what do I do with this guy? Brian, is now time for us savvy people to go and get PLD for cheap? Or should we just be super worried? Because now he's injured also. So it's like the best time to get him if you think he'll he could get back to what he was showing us in the playoffs last year for Columbus. Yeah, and Paul Maurice's injury update on Dubois was not terribly helpful either. It was just like, yeah, it didn't happen during a game. And it was just like something, it wasn't quite a direct injury. It's just something that happens over the course of a career. So I don't know what Dubois' injury is. Uh, It doesn't seem like it'll be too long. And yeah, I'm not giving up on him. I think in the meantime, it's good news for Paul Stasny, who uh, made instant work of getting a nice uh, a nice opportunity to play with better line mates than he was slated to play with on the third line. Uh, so that's good news for Stasny in the meantime, while Dubois is out. But when Dubois is back, honestly, I'm not I'm not going to read too much into his first two games. It's like this is like training camp, right? Like he missed this isn't training camp, but he missed so much of the start of the season by either not playing in Columbus or not trying to play in Columbus. He actually only had seven shots through five games with Columbus and of course, very limited minutes too. So I expect he's going to be fine in Winnipeg. It might be a good time to go and kick tires. Although anybody who has been holding him all this time, uh, they're going to be pretty attached to him. And like, Oh, a- I disagree. I think if you have like Jack Roslovic, I'll bet you you can get PLD oh, if you want so to. Yeah, I would do that a hundred percent. I feel like, people who still roster Dubois and have rostered him throughout this might be like falling victim to the sunken cost fallacy where it's like, Oh man, like I've, I've held on to this guy so long. There's no way I'm about to let him go before I'm sure he's not going to produce. I don't know, Brian, I, I guess like it depends like who has the ear of the listeners better. I feel like when I'm fielding questions on Twitter, it's more like I want to drop Dubois. He's doing nothing. You know, like I feel like all these Dubois managers are more like so close to dropping. And then if they get an offer for someone good, they're like, oh, thank God I get something for him. You're thinking it's more like they're super attached. Obviously, this is like a big group of people and there's different people in this group. But uh, I think there's a lot of fantasy managers who would be happy to unload Dubois if you give them just something. Great. Yeah. So go ahead. Give him Roslovic. Give him Kempe. Yeah. I guess I can't disagree, but it is a little concerned. Like, you're not taking no risk there because both Roslovic and Kempe are doing really well. Uh, in the chat, by the way, I was thinking this, but I didn't say it. I wish I did. But Adam, Brian, you talked about how, like, Tampa got killed in the shot share on Saturday. Like, you kind of buried the lead. They won <laughs> six to one against yeah. Florida. They're yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when I don't bring up the actual score. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I forgot. 
Sorry. It's like, oh no, this team is in trouble. Yeah. I guess they were against Bobrovsky, who, by the way, we were totally wrong last week. We thought like, okay, time for Florida to give Chris Drieger like a good long run, and we think they will because he's been doing so much better than Bobrovsky. And then Florida was like, no, actually, how about zero games from Drieger all week? So anyone who took our advice was probably mad at us at first because if they would have dropped Bobrovsky, they would have lost a couple good games from him, but then they got blown up by him on Saturday if they held on. So, you know, in the end, I think it kind of... We were kind of right, and I still think that Florida should give Drieger a shot. He, I don't think yeah. Drieger would have let in 22 goals. Or no, six goals <laughs> on, on 28 shots, only 22 it, saves. It felt like 22 goals, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think Florida probably was better. Like, you know, Vasilevsky stopped 33 of 34. And uh, I guess, like, this would have it would have been instructive for us to revisit this box score while talking about Tampa without Stamkos and Sorelli. Multi-point games from Jamel Smith, Matthew Joseph, Tyler Johnson, and, of course, Andre Palat is the most relevant of that group. So, I don't know. I wouldn't, like, but I feel like that was just because Bobrovsky was bad. So, I'm not about to go ahead and grab a bunch of Tampa death guys because... Uh, someone's got to score in Tampa. I don't think someone's got to score in Tampa. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Brian, I think this uh, takes us to the end of the show. I had Eric Carlson listed, but I don't want to, we talked about him already at the start of the show. He's concerning, right? Brian, very quick. Uh, we talked about, like Falk versus Carlson. And I said, that I think I said Falk, like, do you see anything? Okay, fine. Let's just talk about it quickly. Like, do you see anything to be optimistic about with how Eric Carlson has been playing? Like, is there any underlying number that you can say, no, he should be doing, he has like, what is it? Four points now. Four assists in 13 games now. Give me something. Like, we can't be recommending for people to drop Eric Carlson, right? Like, please? So it really depends on your format, what you're going to do with Eric Carlson in shallower leagues. Maybe you could drop him. I haven't given up on him entirely. What I have given up on is 70-point upside from him. But I'm still... I still want to believe 60 point upside remains. And my reasons being are that he's still seeing on average 25 and a half minutes a night. Uh, of course, some nights a little less. Uh, it seems as though he's been moved to the second power play a couple of times as San Jose tries to figure out if they're better served by having Carlson and Burns both on the top unit or splitting them between the top two. Uh, And then if you look at his five on five numbers, uh, he's actually doing all the reason I still think he might have that 60 point upside is he doesn't look so dissimilar in his underlying numbers to what he looks like last season when he paced for 60 points. A couple of things that stand out are that at five on five, actually total, he has zero goals so far. So no goals on 23 shots for Eric Carlson. And also his IPP is at 22%, whereas uh, his whole career, it's basically been somewhere between 50 and 60%. So that is what I'd be looking up to for a Carlson rebound ish and I'm not going to call it a rebound I'm adding the ish because I like I said I don't think he's getting back up to 70 points they still hope for 60 but honestly at this point man if Carlson can salvage a 50 point season I would I would be okay with that yeah honestly when you were saying like 60 point upside I was like please like that's fine (laughs) like you just talked about Jacob Trickren earlier who's my favorite and I think you said like I think he has 55 60 upside and I feel like it's kind of crazy to be saying the same number when talking about Trickren and Carlson with the way their seasons have gone so far I mean yeah the bottom line is that Carlson still has the opportunity to produce he's just not able to take advantage of it and some of that is variance and some of that is his own game but I think enough of it there's still a chance that enough of it is variance that he can still get into that 50, 60 point range. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, like, right now we can me, stash like, him. You, you all know I'm, I'm just going to be a big Carlson homer, right? It's going to take heaven and earth to move me to give up 
on Carlson. So you need to account for that bias in hearing my analysis on him because I am not tackling that bias myself independently. So just keep that okay. in mind. Yeah, join our patron-only Discord channel and ask the others <laughs> for their opinion. <laughs> like, get Ben and Lewis and uh, the smart patrons to chime in on whether or not you should be, uh, like, dropping Carlson, because Brian and I just... It's hard, though I did I did say Falk over Carlson. I hope I regret that. Uh, okay, so Brian, this has been a blast. We've covered a lot of ground, but here we are at the end of the show, looking forward to, hopefully, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, no postponed games in next week's NHL action. So I'm wishing all the best and all the... Hell, you know, I do want there to be postponed games if there's like health and safety concerns, obviously, but I'm just wanting a nice, clean week. Uh, so good luck to everyone in your matchups next week. And thanks so much for listening. I did bring up that Keeping Carlson patron-only Discord community. It's it's popping. We're having a blast. And like Brian talked about Kakuffle.com, which is a great site with a bunch of new features. Like the Keeping Carlson Discord is also like this like great place with like a bunch of really cool features that Jeremy and Kevin have helped us set up. So we've got like, you could add like sit start polls and we have like all the Kakuffle like ad drops are like automatically posted. We have a bunch of like bots posting like, like line change stuff. And then there's like, obviously people are posting questions and helping each other. Like it's really just having discussions on every game night. Like it's just a really fun time to join the community and engage with everyone. Brian and I are obviously very active. Some of the other voices you hear on the Keeping Carlson network, I guess if you want to call it, you know, like Dave Benton from Stream Scheme is there. Marcus and John from the Kakuffle Stat Attack, both amazing podcasts that we definitely recommend you listen to. And uh, they're both linked to in our show notes. So, uh, if you're interested, check it out, right? KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. You could join, become a patron, five bucks a month. And if you don't like it, you, you cancel, right? You're down five bucks. And if you like it, your life has changed for the better. Join the Keeping Carlson Discord community. Come for the bots and stay for the humans. But okay, with that, Brian, I'm ready to wrap this baby up. So let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by brandonweeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job as always, Brian. Stay tuned for short shifts coming out in a couple days. Brian, we've got a patron cast. We didn't even mention that. Patron cast on Wednesday. We're going to answer all the patrons' questions. Uh, not too late, again, to become a patron and join us for that. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you a lot, and we're going to have a lot of Keeping Carlson content coming out in the next little while. But what should people do while they wait for it all? Well, I just have so they remember one thing, and that's that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>